and welcome to the AYO podcast. Today we're here to learn a little more about the repertoire that the Australian Youth Orchestra will be performing on their upcoming international tour, in particular a piece for orchestra by the young Australian composer Holly Harrison. Holly has joined us on the podcast today to give us a little insight into her composition Frumius, which will be performed by AYO in Germany, China and then Sydney when the orchestra returns home. Thank you for joining us today, Holly. No, thanks, Katie. Awesome to be here. It's really, really great to have you here. And I wondered if to start with, um, you could tell us a little bit about how your life as a composer began. Oh, how it began. Okay, what a question. I mean, I suppose initially... I started playing, I don't want to give too much background, but I started playing trumpet at age five. Yeah. And quite early on, by the time I was about 10 or 11, I was playing in improvised groups and things like that. And I discovered that that was a lot more fun than reading the notes on the page because <laughs> I thought I could actually add something extra to the music. It wasn't really until about year nine when I had my first composition assignment that I kind of started to discover that I might have a bit of a knack for actually putting some lines together. And my first composition, embarrassingly, was called Call of the Wild. And it featured, I think, let me get this right, I think it featured three descant recorders, drum kit, keyboard bass, wow. euphonium, <laughs> and trumpet with a whole lot of reverb. And <laughs> That's I'm an eclectic <laughs> mix. <laughs> well, I'm not sure I would write that piece now. Let's, let's just say that. But I mean, back in the day, and then kind of later, I did the IB, International Baccalaureate, rather than HSC, and you have to produce three compositions for that. Mm -hmm. So because of that, that kind of reignited my interest in composition, and yeah, that's just sort of how it took off again. Yeah, and Went now here we you. are. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> here I am. So you're, um, you're a percussionist as well. Um, I am, yep. would, would you say that that's made any particular impact on the way that you write for instruments? Oh, totally. Uh, amazingly so, I think. I mean, for this piece that's in the AYO program, Frumius, in particular, I think that's quite rhythmic and some of the main hooks, if you like, I know we don't often use that term in, <laughs> in contemporary classical, but I, I still like to think of it like that. Some of the main rhythmic hooks were generated when I was improvising at the drum kit. Yeah. So us percussionists, we have different exercises and rudiments, one called the paradiddle, which Ooh. I'm sure... Most people sort of have an idea. It's kind of alternating between right and left hands and oh, single yes. and double sticking sort of thing. And I remember one afternoon I was just experimenting with trying to create my own version of a percussive rudiment where I would strengthen my left hand. And then I sort of came up with this little rhythmic hook and I thought, that was pretty cool. And <laughs> I went cool away. Too cool to be an exercise. Well, yeah, exactly. And it was in 5.8. And I thought, hmm, okay, this is sort of funky. And I went away and then kind of assigned pitches or, or notes to that and then chords to it. Yeah. So, yeah, I would say very much my music starts with rhythms to begin with rather than and melody. Yeah, and I kind of like how that might make me a little bit different to yeah. some other composers out there. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Um, when when you were first starting out composing, um, I'd imagine that you were probably present for the majority of performances of your work. And can you describe what it's like when your music suddenly starts heading out into the world without you? Ooh, what a question. <laughs> I mean... It sounds like a strange thing to say, but sometimes it's nice not to be there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, and it, it's really awesome to then hear back from people overseas to hear, oh, like this went well, 
or like we had a great reception, those sorts of things. I do love being in the audience though. I yeah. mean, I certainly, so for example, earlier this year, I went across to Miami to hear a work of mine and it was awesome to be there, to be there in the audience. But at the same time, I feel quite anxious kind of waiting for for different things to happen, waiting for different entry points. And I guess really it's not until you go to sleep that night that you realise that actually your body's quite tense. Yeah. Like it's it's really quite a a stressful, like a good stressful experience, yeah, but also of sort of racked with anxiety and So do you think that stems from perhaps it being exposed to a brand new audience? What's that like? It does stem from that. I mean you never really know what the reception will be. I mean I guess on the flip side of that Maybe that's not important. I don't know. Maybe that's a little too philosophical. <laughs> but I mean, I, I, try, I try my best to create music that I want to hear. And I hope that by doing that and being, and I know it's a cliche, but true to myself, that other people, that will resonate with other people, yeah. I hope. Um, so your work of Frumius will be performed at the Sydney Opera House. Have any of your works been performed there before? I have. Uh, just very recently... I'm composer in residence at MLC School in Burwood, so for their biennial opera house concerts, they have one every two years, wow. I wrote a little piece for five of the elite players in the school. Wow, that's great. So, yeah, so, so that, that was second a time. fun. Wow. Yeah, second time in only a handful of months, so I must admit, it's quite that's exciting. Great. Yeah. Um, why, why do you think the Sydney Opera House is such a special place for Australian musicians? First and foremost... Internationally, people think of the architecture of, of the Sydney Opera House as being something that, that defines not just Sydney, but I think Australia as well. And I think it has enormous history there. I mean, of course, SSO, are a resident there, all those sorts of uh, different kind of cultural elements that come into play, I think. Yeah. And yeah. of course, you know, we have renowned international artists. It's often one of their first stops not necessarily just in the classical world, but also now increasingly so in the pop world as well and jazz. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, so let's talk a little more about Frumius. Um, the title, as you've said, is a Lewis Carroll reference. Yeah, it is. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about that? Ooh, okay. I always find this a little bit tricky to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> just because, well, I mean, it's about nonsense, right? And in fact... My doctoral thesis was called The Logic of Nonsense. So whenever I say that out loud, I think, oh no, what's the other person's <laughs> reaction? I'd always say, it just sounds like a little bit silly, and I guess that it is. So, okay, how to explain. So frumious itself, the word, let's start with that. So that's a portmanteau word, which Lewis Carroll coined, which is a combination of the two words, furious and fuming. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of different portmanteau words that, Lewis Carroll invented, like, I'm trying to think, mimsy, galumphing, so that's a, <laughs> I know, and they all sound, they all, they've all got like a bit of a funny sound to but them. But they feel like they make sense in a way. They yeah. do, exactly, and I think that's where the logic comes out of that nonsense, is that they sound like the thing that they are, and I guess sort of more modern examples are things like spork, you know, like a spoon and a fork, exactly. like these words <laughs> yeah. that really have actually a practical function. Yeah. In, in everyday life, and increasingly so, we see all these portmanteaus. That's the, the origin of the actual title, Frumius. But musically, what might that mean? Okay, <laughs> so this is, this is somewhat more difficult to explain. I'm very much interested in improvised and experimental rock, but I'm also interested in the intricacy and the detail and the architecture of 
I suppose, art music. Mm-hmm. So this was my way of creating my own musical portmanteau and bringing those two worlds together in the same way I hope that Carol uses seemingly disparate words to create a new meaning. Yeah, exactly. So, so did you name the piece first and then create it or mm. was it, or did the title kind of fit with the piece that you had created? The title came last. Ah, okay. I, I feel like I'm not very good at naming things. So I usually either have a very clear idea of what I'm going to name something at, at the beginning. So for example, I wrote a string quartet last year for Music of Visa's Mick competition. And I knew initially that that would be called Balderdash, just from the get-go. Yeah. Again, another nonsense sort of thing. <laughs> but, but this one, I, I didn't know. I didn't know until the end. And I think sometimes it's only really in retrospect that you realise how those sort of musical things have come together. Um, so how did you, did you only become interested in the work of Lewis Carroll sort of later on, or would you say it's impacted your composition throughout? Mm, well, I mean, I feel like a large part of my body of work is very much influenced by Lewis Carroll. I mean, to date, I would say that about half, half of the music that I've written has been Lewis Carroll inspired. Okay. And I've had a, a bit of a break from the Carroll stuff in the last couple of years. So with past performances of Bring This in Mind, is there any advice that you would give to an orchestra who is about to perform your, your work? First of all, I would say be bold and go big. <laughs> I, I would think, yeah, I think that's pretty good advice, really. I mean, I think the piece itself is quite visceral. We are talking before about it's very much rhythmically driven, but there's also... There's a lot of elements that happen quite quickly, lots of rapid changes in style, if you like. So I think for performers, you've really just got to go for it. Just commit. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But the paradox is is that this is written to sound somewhat improvised, but it isn't. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a tricky one, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Um, Are there any parts of the piece that you would say to an audience member to listen out for? Are there any, Mm. say, sections that have got a a cool little bit that's maybe your favourite? I must say, I would be pointing their attention towards... There's a piccolo solo (laughs) uh, right in the middle, which I like how we laugh about that because it's a piccolo solo. And I think... And that's exactly (laughs) the reaction that I'm after. Yeah. And for me... I don't like to work in too much of a literal sense, like this represents that and this is that kind of thing, but I guess this is one moment where it could be interpreted like that and perhaps, and I say perhaps because I'm not really sure, perhaps that could be interpreted as kind of like Alice personified. Yeah. So I think... okay. Yeah, yeah, sort of maybe the one moment where there's kind of like a character within the piece as a whole. Yeah, ears open, people. Um, so looking down the track now, um, is there anything that you're working on at the moment? Yes, yes. So just next week I'm working really hard to a deadline, uh, which is a viola concerto, and that's for Steph Farrand and Tasmanian Symphony Orchestra. So that's hugely exciting. I'm really, really pumped about that. I've actually really been enjoying working on that. And when will that be performed? In September 23rd, I want to say. Yeah. So that kind of has some more, I don't know, I kind of say like bluegrass elements sort of work, oh, wow. worked into it. Kind of this idea of showing the viola in, in a new light, sort of move over violin. You know? <laughs> like, like They'll re- enjoy that. <laughs> exactly, like really giving the viola 
the credit that it deserves. And what I really love about viola is the low register. Yeah. So I think, and that's pretty bluegrassy, I think. Yeah, yeah. I like it. Well, we will look forward to seeing what you get up to over the rest of the year. Um, but in the meantime, we are very excited to hear AYO performing Frumius on the tour. And of course, back in Australia at the Sydney Opera House on Monday, the 5th of August at 8 p.m. Tickets are available on the Sydney Opera House website. Holly, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast today. Thank you for dropping by. No problem. That's all from us on the AYO podcast. Until next time, and I'll leave you with a recording of Holly Harrison's Frumius, performed by the Cabrillo Festival Orchestra.